But we want to continue in this series that we've been involved in in Nehemiah. Title of the series is When God's Burden Becomes Our Vision. If you haven't been here, let me catch you up to speed real quick. We've been going through the book of Nehemiah. Man, it's an exciting adventure that we're going through with this teaching. The story of Nehemiah is a lot like a mini-series that you might see on television in the summer or in the fall, like a 24 with Jack Bauer. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, if you've seen the Mission Impossible series, you know, uh, Nehemiah playing the part of Ethan Hunt, taking on a mission that was completely and totally impossible. God sent him to restore the city of Jerusalem, to rebuild the, the building, to rebuild the walls, to rehang the gates, something that could not be done for the last 140 years. Nehemiah takes the challenge to go and try to do this in 52 days. It's an impossible mission. But with God, all things are possible. So he gets there. He begins the process. He's got a lot of folks that rally around him. Great things are happening. And all of a sudden, he discovers that he has an enemy. I hope you realize that when you begin to line up with God's will in your life, you begin to line up with the vision that God has for you, you're going to discover that there is an enemy. And he doesn't want you to do the things that God wants you to do. He's going to try to derail you. He's going to try to scare you. He's going to try to distract you in many ways. And this is what happens. The only way I know to stop it is to stop doing things for God. You can go home and sit on the couch and stick your finger up your nose, and I doubt the enemy is going to deal with you at all. But if you want to be on the great adventure, if you want to be everything that God's called you to be, the enemy's going to take notice. So if you're here this morning and you are under attack, man, that's good. That means you're doing great things for God, okay? So Nehemiah gets through this. We got into chapter 5 a couple of weeks ago where, where Nehemiah decides, you know what, not only am I going to defend what I build... But I'm going to start doing the things that God calls me to do. And while he's building the walls and defending what he's building in case the enemy comes and attacks him, he discovers another challenge. Inside the city, the people are starting to sell themselves and put themselves back in slavery. They're selling their children for food and for grain. Nehemiah says, hold on, guys, wait a minute. I bought you with my own money out of slavery so that you could come and join me in the work of God. You can't be going and putting yourself back in slavery. You're set free. And so once again, he declares them all free, debt paid in full. Does that sound like anybody? The type of Christ that Nehemiah is being an example for and reflecting for us. Listen, church, we're not in debt any longer. We're not slaves to sin. We're not in bondage. There's nothing we can do to try and work our way out of sin. Jesus Christ paid for it all. He set us free. Nehemiah goes on to to reflect Jesus and how once he sets them free, he says, come to my house. And he begins to have a luncheon every day at his house where hundreds of people show up to eat his food. Now, that's exactly like Jesus. After he sets us free, he paid for us. He gave his life. He was dead. He was buried for my sin, for my debt. But he rose again on the third day. And he says, now, come to my table and let me give you all that you need. So it's a great example. The life of Nehemiah paralleling and pointing to Jesus all along is something that I've been excited about. So we're going to run into chapter 6 here. The title of chapter 6 is Deception and Distractions. Because once again, Nehemiah is about to complete the work, but once again, the enemies start coming, 
okay? And let's see how he handles that. Now, let me lay a foundation for you of what's going on here. Jesus says, in the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer for what? For I have overcome the world. And that's good news. You are going to have trials and tribulations. You're going to have things that come against you. But Jesus says, be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. Repeat this after me. In the world, I will have tribulations. But I will be of good cheer because Jesus has overcome the world. Amen. Let's get into chapter 6, verse 1. Are you there? Say amen. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, you remember who Sanballat and Tobiah are in our story. They are Nehemiah's arch enemies. Sanballat was the general of the Persian army. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, he's went out and recruited another big wig to join his enemy baseball team. And the rest of our enemies, so there's a whole bunch of them now coming after Nehemiah. Now, it happened when Sambalot, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at that time I had not hung the doors and the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. Now, this is what they're doing. They're saying, Hey, Nehemiah. Yeah, we've kind of harassed you. You know, we've kind of threatened your life. We've kind of tried to kill all your family. But you know what? You've continued the work. You've done a good job. Why don't you come on out into the desert? We'll set up a big table. We'll shake on it. We'll bury the hatchet, and we'll all be friends. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to draw him out of the city because they know they can't get to him inside the city. It's too heavily fortified by now, and Nehemiah's ready. So they're trying to deceive him. They're saying, come on out to the Valley of Ono, and we'll get together. Well, Nehemiah looks at this, and he says, the Valley of Ono? Oh, no. (laughs) They're coming after me again. And then he says, oh, oh, no, I'm not going. See, lots of meaning to that one word right there. See, I relate to the children real well, so y'all just stay with me, okay? To the Valley of Ono, but then they thought to do me harm. So, listen to this. I sent messengers back to them saying, I am doing a great work. Man, when I read that, it stopped me in my tracks. He didn't say, I'm too busy. He didn't say, leave me alone. He didn't say, I'm doing a good work. He didn't say, hey, man, I'm trying to build a wall. He didn't say, hey, I've got some gates to build. He said, I am doing a great work. All he was doing at this point in time was just throwing some mortar down and putting some bricks down. That's all he was doing was physically building a wall and hanging some gates. But in his heart of hearts, he says, you don't understand. I am doing an awesome, incredible, great, magnificent work for the kingdom of God. I cannot come away from it. He knew that this building had nothing to do with what God had called him, it had everything to do with it, but it was far beyond the building. He was saying, this building is nothing compared to the vision that God has put in my heart. This is a great work, far beyond me, says Nehemiah. 
He's saying, don't you understand? The wall is not it. It's the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of lives that are going to come in to this wall that I'm building and worship with God. Their lives are going to be changed. It's going to go far beyond me, is what Nehemiah is saying. Listen, folks, this is huge. It's a huge thought. We at Lighthouse Christian Fellowship are doing a great work that's going to go on far beyond David Vestal. It's going to go on far beyond you and me. Our children and our children's children will pick up the mantle and take it to a whole nother level. Man, I'm telling you, this hit me right between the eyes. My son, Michael, he plays football for Prosper, and his game days are on Thursday, so they have to wear a suit. Okay? And so on Wednesday, I discover that. So I got to go get him a suit. After worship, it's 8.30 at night, the youth worship. And so where do you go at 8.30 at night to buy your 13-year-old a suit? Walmart. You're darn right, man. <laughs> Come on. That is a great... Where else can you buy ammo and underwear? I mean, <laughs> it's Walmart. It's the place. Now, my wife won't let me buy my clothes there, but, you know, my son, he only wear it one time. And he'll outgrow it by then. So we go to Walmart. We go in there. Now... The boy's been wearing my shoes for the last year. I wear a size 9. He's been wearing my shoes. And so he says, Dad, I need some more shoes. We went in there. His shoe size was an 11 and a half at 13. And it just dawned on me. You know what? He's going to be bigger than me. I mean, he is. He's going to go further than I have gone. He's going to impact the kingdom of God in a greater capacity, far more than I have been able to. Man, his work is going to go way beyond mine. What I'm doing today with my son Michael is a great work because I'm laying a foundation from which he can be launched from to do far greater things than myself. This is just going through my head. I see Carissa early in the morning at the computer showing Michael how to do something on the computer. She's 18 years old. She knows far more about computers than I ever did at 45 now. I mean, those girls, the text messaging, bionic thumbs. Have you seen the thumbs? How fast they can run through those phones. I mean, they'll just be going and you can't even see the thumbs moving and they're talking to you while they're texting somebody else. It's an incredible talent that they have. They're all going to get a degree in communications. Man, they can do stuff. I mean, it's incredible. We just flew an airplane. My daughter and I went to Arkansas to talk to someone about the building and just last week, and we were flying back, and Caitlin, my 17-year-old daughter, flew the airplane back at 17 years old. Man, I'm telling you, our kids are going to go so much further than we go. Nehemiah says, man, I can't come down to the valley of, oh, no. Man, I'm involved in a great work here. I will not be distracted. I won't let you distract me. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times, and I answered them in the same manner. Verse 5. Then Sambalot sent his servants to me, as before, the fifth time, with an open letter in his hand. Now, this is kind of significant because you demonstrated your respect for someone by the way you sent them a letter. Like if I wanted to send a letter to Pastor Kenny and I really respect him and his position as an executive pastor at this church over everything in the church, 
then I'm going to give him a letter that's sealed with a very nice seal around it. I'm going to put it in a silk pouch, and I'm going to seal that pouch and give it to him. So when he receives the letter, he sees how much respect I have for him. This is how it was done in this day and age. So by Sanballat sending Nehemiah a letter that was wide open, he's just basically saying, I have no respect for you as the leader of this thing at all, okay? But not only that, it was open, which means everyone that handled that letter saw what was written in it and then got to spread the rumor around to everybody. This is what was written in the letter. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says... You know, this is the he says, she says game. You know, everybody is saying, and Geshem says, you know, it's like, you know, Brother Bobby heard Sister Susie from Uncle Earl say that Aunt Amy said, you ever been involved with that he said, she said game? You know, we as Christians, we don't gossip. I recognize that. We just ask for prayer requests, you know. <laughs> it's like, how can I pray for you? Oh, man, life. And you go to tell somebody else, man, we need to be praying for, for Pastor Dane and David because, man, they're really struggling. It's like if I go to you and I say, hey, you guys need to be praying for Kenny and Lynn, for Pastor Kenny and Lynn. I'm not going to tell you why, but just be praying for them. Well, what's the first thing you think of? Well, what's wrong? So then you go tell somebody else, hey, we really need to be praying for Pastor Kenny and Lynn. And they're having some serious struggles going on. And you go tell somebody else, and somebody else says, hey, I, I think Lynn's dying. We need to be praying for them. <laughs> Which, by the way, Kenny and Lynn are doing great, okay? They are, they are incredible, right, Lynn? Okay, yes, they're doing good. Lynn is doing good. Pray for Pastor Kenny. No. But you see what I'm saying, and that's what this guy is doing. It would be like this. It would be like sending an email to Pastor Kenny. Let me read you what the email says here. It said, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem says, that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, there is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king, so come, therefore, and let us consult together. This is a whole other level of dirty deception. I mean, this is just a whole nother level because what they've done is like you emailing Pastor Kenny and saying, Pastor Kenny, now I've heard it said by a lot of people and the other pastor down the road said it too that you want this building built and you want to get several thousand people in here so that you can then be the senior pastor. And when you email Pastor Kenny, you copy everybody in the church so everybody reads it, right? That's what they're doing right here. Okay, and then how does Nehemiah respond to this? Verse 8, then I sent to him saying, no such thing as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. For they all were trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the work and it will not be done. See, what they're trying to do is say, uh, Nehemiah, you're building this thing for your own good gain. You're building this thing because you really want to be the king. And you're building this thing so that you can proclaim yourself king and you're surrounding yourself with yes men that'll tell you that you're the king. And see, this really hurt Nehemiah because nothing could be further than the truth. He's saying, you got to be kidding. You think that I'm using the people of God to build a building for myself? No, I'm building a building myself for the people of God. 
You see the difference? He's saying, you think I'm using this community to build this church? No, I'm building the church for the community. Lighthouse Christian Fellowship's vision is that we're not going to use the community to grow this church. We're going to use this church to grow the community. And that's why it hurt Nehemiah so much. He says, you've got to be kidding me. But the challenge was for Nehemiah not to take that challenge. The deal was they were trying to get him distracted. It would be like Pastor Kenny having to run around and start emailing every one of you saying, oh, he's lying. Don't listen to that. He's got to go start having a bunch of meetings with some of the top people in church saying, I don't know where that email came from, but that person is lying. And pretty soon, he's not doing the work of the ministry. So Nehemiah is thinking, you know, what they're wanting me to do is go around to all these people and start having all these meetings and start trying to defend myself, start trying to build back up my reputation. But he says, look, I've been called to do a great work. I will not be distracted. So Nehemiah does what every great man of God does in that position He goes to God. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Lord, don't let me get distracted. Give me even more strength. Your word says in my weakest moment, that's when you want to show yourself the strongest. So, Lord, strengthen my hands that I may complete the work, the great work that you've called me to. Verse 10, they're going to make another run at him in verse 10. He says, afterwards, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Medabel. I know that's not how you pronounce those names, but you know, <laughs> in the Old Testament, you just read fast and confident and nobody really knows, okay? <laughs> but if you know how to pronounce them, don't email me. I'll just delete it. So don't worry about it, okay? Afterwards, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Medabel, who was a secret informer. Okay, this is a prophet who's a secret informer. And the prophet said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. And let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night, they will come to kill you. So this prophet must have had some type of authority in the city for Nehemiah to stop and go to his house. I mean, it wasn't like going outside the city gates to the valley of Ono. He was inside the city. So he goes to this prophet's house, and this prophet says, I'm a prophet, and thus saith the Lord, Geshem, Tobiah, Sambalot, they're all coming to kill you tonight. So what you need to do is go with me. Let's get inside the temple. Let's lock ourselves in there so that you'll be protected. Now, Nehemiah knew immediately this guy was a false prophet. Why? Because what he was telling him didn't line up with the word of God. Nehemiah wasn't a priest. God had said only priests go into the temple. Nehemiah was a businessman. He was a politician. Listen, when somebody comes to you and they say, I've got a word for you, that word better line up with God's word. Okay? I don't care how they present it to you. They can get real serious and get real deep and say, thus saith the Lord. They can put a shundah on it. They can shake. They can do whatever they want. But if it doesn't line up with the word of God, it's no better for you than hammered dog doo-doo. And that's not very good for you at all. It needs to line up with God's word. Amen? Amen? And so when somebody comes to you and says, you need to be doing this, and it doesn't line up with God's word, you dismiss them and don't get counsel from them at all because they're a false prophet. Nehemiah knew immediately this guy was a false prophet. He knew it because he said, look, who am I? Number one... I'm not a priest. And so if I go into the temple, I'm proclaiming myself to be a priest. And I'll lose my reputation with the people. And number two, 
who am I to run from a battle? If I go in here and lock myself up, then Sambalot just kind of sashays into the city and he takes the reign. There's nobody to lead the people into victory, into war. I'm not going to do it. He recognizes this guy's not who he's saying he is. And I said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his own life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced himself this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalot had hired him. For this reason he was hired that I should be afraid and act that way and sin so that they might have cause for an evil report, in other words, ruin his reputation, that they might reproach me. Now, what does every great man of God do when he's under attack? Goes to the Lord. He prays. And I love this about Nehemiah. Every time then the pot is turned up a little bit more, he goes to the one that's the author and finisher of his faith. Verse 14, my God, remember Tobiah and Sambalad according to these, their works, and the prophetess Nodiah, and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. Lord, I come to you. You deal with them. I got to get back to my great work that you've called me to. And this is the best part of the whole entire chapter in verse 15 and 16. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul, which is, by the way, September 25th. In 52 days, we finished the wall. There's the miracle. And it happened when all of our enemies heard of it. Oh, this is good. You need to wake up and listen to this. And it happened when all of our enemies heard of it, and all the nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened. In their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. When the walls were completed, the last stone, the last brick was put in place. And where the gates were hung, the enemy stepped back and they said, You know what? Man, we never had a chance. Because we were up against the hand of God from the very beginning. And their hearts just sunk. I can just see the look on Tobiah's face and Sambalot's face and Geshem's face when that last gate was hung and the people began to rejoice and the life began to come back again into the city of Jerusalem. Man, they knew they were defeated and they came to that realization that they never had a chance in the first place. Now listen, this is a restoration story that points to the ultimate restoration because at some 500 years later, the ultimate restorer showed up. See, Jesus Christ came, and he is the ultimate wall. He is the ultimate defender of the weak. He's the ultimate defender of our faith. He is the ultimate gate. It's his gate that we now go into to worship and experience the presence of God. Oh, this is good stuff, folks. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I just think about the look on Sambalot's face and Tobiah's face and Geshem's face, and I think about the look on, on Satan's face that Sunday morning. <laughs> you know, he's probably sitting back in his office Saturday night. They've been partying from Friday all the way through Saturday because he just killed the Son of God. So he's reclined back in his old nasty recliner, you know, sucking on some satanic cigar, having a great time. 
And Sunday morning rolls around, and he's thinking he is victorious. He's thinking everything's great. And all of a sudden, one of his demonic subjects come bursting into his office. And he says, Mr. Lucifer, I don't understand. You've got to listen to this story. We had demons all over that rock. But all of a sudden, angels came, and they killed all the demons, and the stone was rolled away. And Jesus just jumped up out of his grave clothes. Man, I I don't know how it happened. And he flew down here into the gates of hell. He went past our security gates. He went into the property room. He got the keys of sin. He took the keys of death. He took the keys of destruction. He took the keys of discouragement. He took the keys of depression. He took the keys of despair. And he took off and he flew out of the grave and he's alive. We were powerless. We couldn't do anything about it. And at that moment, Satan's heart just sunk. And he knew he never, ever really had a chance because he was always up against the power of God Almighty. In the world, we're going to have tribulation. But listen, church, be of good cheer because Jesus Christ is alive. He's alive. He's alive this morning. He's victorious. Amen.